You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. Um, hey, uh, I'm excited to get into the word today. Uh, as you guys, uh, as Will mentioned, my name is Josh, and I've had the pleasure of meeting some of you. Some of you have heard me talk like in a membership meeting or something, but I know some of you don't know me, and that's okay. Uh, I would love to just like clue you in on a little bit of who I am. So uh, my name is Josh for the like, hundredth time, right? Uh, I was born and raised here in Austin. I have a beautiful wife, Rachel. We've married five years. She is the greatest testimony of God's goodness to me. We have two kids, our oldest, Leah, and our youngest, Jude, three and a year and a half, very close, and that was very hard, yes. Um, and still, it proves challenging. <laughs> we recently planted Refuge Community Church, a new church in Southeast Austin. Uh, and it's through that process that I've gotten the chance to know Will, and that has been an absolute joy. He has poured into our family, our church, our community so much. Uh, it has been just a blessing. Like, for real, y'all got a good one. So, man, just assure y'all, y'all got a good one in Will. Uh, and I want to say thank you to him, but I also want to say thank you to you, because without your serving, without your giving, without your leading, right, it would not be possible for Will to, to pour into to guys like me, young pastors who want to see uh, people reached with the gospel, people come to know Jesus. It wouldn't be possible. So thank y'all from the bottom of my heart and from the bottom of my family's heart, from my church's heart. Thank y'all. Ooh, sorry. Thank y'all. We appreciate y'all a lot. And so... Yeah, I'm going to move on because I'm feeling get emotional. If I'm getting emotional about anything, it's going to be about this word. So let's go ahead and get into the task at hand. We're in the Bible, all right? We're talking about God's word today, and I'm excited. Will hit me up, and I was like, yes, right? But uh, I also confess it's a unique time to be preaching. We're, we finished up uh, Christmas. We're, we're kind of just in a on a path to ending 2020. We got in the rear view. We're looking forward with a lot of hope, right? Looking to 2021 with a lot of hope, a lot of anticipation, Um but as we move forward, if I'm being honest, I'm burdened a little bit as a shepherd in the community of faith, right? I'm burdened a bit, not by 2020 being over. I, like you, and been done with 2020. Uh, not because Christmas is over. That's sad, but, but Christmas is coming. go. I'm actually burdened that as we close out 2020, I'm burdened by the question of what we're leaving 2020 with. In other words, what we've gained in 2020. We know we've lost. That's not hard to count. But really questioning what we've gained in 2020, what we've learned. Because in a year like this, it's been difficult, but we also learned some things, potentially, hopefully. And and here's where that concerns me the most, in the area of self-sufficiency. Because here's the thing, we live in a culture that celebrates self-sufficiency, that celebrates being self-sufficient enough to to pay our own bills, to have our own place, uh, to move out by 18, 20 tops, to go to college, and then from college to get a good job. And then uh, after we get out of college and we're self-sufficient financially, right, maybe you get married. If you get married, you got to make sure your spouse is taken care of emotionally. Then if you have kids, you got to make sure they're doing good in school so they can go do all the same things you did, right? Like, And then not to mention all of that, we still got to go to the gym and make sure that we we work out because summer is right around the corner. And, and on top of all of that, we can't forget the self-care because I've been so so busy being self-sufficient everywhere else that I got to make sure I get my self-care done. And so it, it, so many things we're taught to be self-reliant in, we're taught to be self-sufficient in, we don't even realize each act of self-sufficiency is like a stone. It's like a stone that proves if to no one else than to myself, then to myself, that, that 
I don't need anybody, that I am all and everything that I need, right? Like, and each one of these stones puts space between me and the person um, on the other side of the stone, right? And each act of self-sufficiency puts another stone on the pile and another stone until finally there's this wall that separates me from other people, that separates me from them, that doesn't allow them in. And, and really, you may be like, what? But, but you've probably experienced this before, right? You've probably experienced heartache from failed relationships, but you didn't want to let someone in, right? To, to, to know about how bad you were hurting, Fear from like looming financial insecurity, but, but you feel weak if you cried out for help, right? Hurt from marriage issues, but you're afraid you'll ruin your reputation uh, if you let someone see that side of you, right? All these different areas, that, that's all the, the self-sufficiency kind of shackling us, pr- imprisoning us away from other people. And before you know it, you, again, you've locked yourself into this prison of our own making. And, and I would go so far to describe this as like, 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 again, like shackles. These are the shackles of self-sufficiency. And that's just normal life, right? That's just, all that is just like a normal year. What happens when, when self-sufficiency meets a pandemic that has really brought on financial insecurity from the economy, that has brought on a relational strife because of anxiety and depression and educational, professional shortcomings because of the difficulty things like Zoom and all that stuff, right? In a year like 2020, where so much has, has been taken from us, but also so many other burdens have been placed on us, right? I'm concerned about the possibility that we leave this year clinging to our self-sufficiency, looking to 2021 like it's the solution, uh, and missing the great hope that's available to you and me uh, that far outshines 2021 that's meant to sustain far beyond 2021. And so what do we do from here? Where do we go? First, I want to tell you that there's hope, right? There's hope, but, but that hope's not easy, okay? It's not easy because... It calls us to wrestle uh, with hard truths and challenges us to reevaluate how we see ourselves. And, and when we do it, though, I do want to assure you that when we do wrestle with these truths, when we do fight um, to calm the question how we see ourselves, that, that challenge gives way to an assurance, to a hope that doesn't fail but rather sustains us even in the hardest seasons, okay? And so today what I want to do is I want to dive into the Word. I want to dive into Psalm 130. And I want to explore what Psalm 130 has to say about self-sufficiency. Uh, and the takeaway I want us to see today is this, that true hope is only found when we rely on the one who is sufficient. True hope is only found when we rely on the one who is truly sufficient. Uh, help us grasp this idea. I want to break the text into three parts, okay, into three action items, three things I believe Psalm 130 is calling us to. And we find the first in verses 1 and 2. And that first is cry out. I believe Psalm 130 is calling us to cry out. Let's go ahead and dive into 1 and 2. I'm reading from the CSB. You can read from whatever you want. But Psalm 130 starts like this. Out of the depths, I call to you, Lord. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive attentive to my cry for help. Would you join me in like a short prayer over the word? Uh, Father, thank you for your word. Uh, bless this time in your word. Uh, empty me and let me speak your word and let us receive from your word. I love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, all right. So we're talking about self-sufficiency. We're coming at Psalm 130, seeing what Psalm 130 has to say about it. Uh, And as we approach Psalm 130, we're introduced to the author, the psalmist, who's in a place of distress. And this distress for the psalmist is, is, is described as 
the depths, right? Right from the beginning, out of the depths, uh, painting this word picture, right? And if depths, you know, for us, oftentimes we hear that, we're thinking like the deepest, remote, dark place. If you're thinking the depths of the sea, far away from other things, you're 100% right. That's 100% accurate, right? But, but the original language also builds another connotation on top of that. It's really interesting, right? Not only is this a, a, a dark place, but this is a remote place. In other words, it's an isolated place. It feels all alone. Right To feel so much grief, so much pain, so much sorrow that we believe that no one else can under, possibly understand. Right, It feels lonely. It feels like you're all alone. This is where the psalmist is. Right, Maybe you relate to this. Right, To feel so much grief, so much stress, so much shame, so much hurt to the, place, to the point that uh, he or she is in the depths, all alone, isolated, remote. But it's from this position of isolation, of loneliness, of remoteness that we see a unique response come out of it. Right, The author, out of this isolation, finally cries out for help. And it's almost meant to be ironic, right, that it's in this isolation, it's in this loneliness that the author, the psalmist, cries out for help outside of him or herself, right, outside of him or herself. Why? Why in the loneliness is it finally the place where we can cry out for help? Well, friends, because it's not until we're all alone that we realize self-sufficiency is insufficient. Hear me again. It's not until we're all alone that we realize self-sufficiency is insufficient. It's not until we've tried everything we can, that we fought as hard as we can, that we've clawed as deep as we can, that we realize our best is oftentimes just not good enough. Okay, and maybe you relate to this, right? Maybe you like me, have realized in moments that, that no matter how many new relational rhythms I build, how many counseling sessions I go to, uh, how, how many second opinions I get, uh, how many like strategies to break my ruts I implement, it never seems to be enough. Friends, it's not until we're all alone that we realize self-sufficiency is insufficient. And this is what makes crying out, asking for help extremely hard, right? It forces us to, to to kind of come face to face with our insufficiencies. It forces us to reckon with our own weaknesses, our own inabilities, our own failures, shortcomings. It means this picture that I've built up for you, this picture I've built up for me of myself is really a lie. And if this picture is a lie, will I be judged? Will I be rejected? Will I be belittled? Will I lose status or influence? It's scary. It's scary because it's this lie that comes in and tells us, hey, before you ask for help, don't, don't do it yet. Don't do it yet, right? You're, you're going to be judged. You're going to be rejected. You're going to be made to feel small. You're going to be belittled. You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be criticized. Don't, don't cry out for help. Just stay where you are and, and push forward and, and who knows what will happen, right? It's a lie, It's a lie, friends. It's a lie from the enemy in an attempt to to put us in isolation, to draw us away from people, to single us out, and to shut us up and to take away hope. It's scary, but hear me. In that confession is actually where we begin to experience freedom, right? It's in the confession that comes with crying out that we begin to find freedom. Okay, that's actually our second action item today, confess. I believe Psalm 130 calls us to cry out, but it likewise calls us to confess because it's in our confession that our greatest fears actually start to give way to our greatest hope. Watch, check this out. Check this out in verse three and four. 
It says, Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. In verses one and two, the psalmist comes to terms, right, with, with that they need help, that they're not enough, that they're insufficient. And in verse three, we see a very normal human response. That doesn't mean it's the right response, but a very normal human response, which is to question our worth and to question our value. To question our worth and to question our value. Think about the language. Lord, if you kept an account of iniquity, aka of wrongdoing, who could possibly stand? In other words, if you saw me, the real me, my real actions, my real thoughts, how could I ask you for help? How could I be worthy of your help? How could I have earned your help, much less your love and your affection? It's a very human and very like, like normal response to this, this thought of inadequacy. And here's the reason that response is so common, friends, because confessions are connected to self-worth. Actually, let me rephrase that. Connections reveal where we place our self-worth. Confessions reveal where we place our self-worth. Hear me, when confessions are difficult, it's 100% because we've built our self-worth on self-sufficiency. I'm gonna say that again, because that's good, all right? When, when confessions are difficult, it's 100% because we've built our self-worth on our self-sufficiency. We've placed our hope in a fallible, broken, insufficient, easily frightened, easily movable person, AKA me, AKA you, right? And then we set out to prove ourselves, to prove that we're worth it, to prove to, to, our, to, to others, to ourselves, to God, right? That, that we have something to offer, that we can, we can earn the things that are good, that we can earn the things that we want, that we can show everybody that we're enough, that we have something to offer. And when this is what we build our self-value on, friends, it's scary because if we fail, it all comes crumbling down. The moment we aren't enough, the moment we're insufficient, it's horrifying because all of our self-worth becomes crumbling down and falls into the sea, never to be seen again, right? And this idea, this earning, this worth, this, this bargaining almost, this, this proving is most dangerous when it extends and is applied to God because it creates a mess of distorted views of our Heavenly Father. Think about it. All right. When we believe we're in like this bargaining agreement with God, think about how it impacts the storms of our life, the hard times, the trials. Right? If we're bargaining with proving, with earning, then storms are unfair and unjust unless I believe I've earned them. So God's goodness is always on trial. But if I've earned them, then, then God, I'm actually receiving punishment from a vengeful God instead of receiving discipline and opportunities to grow from our Heavenly Father. Right? Like, like think about what, what this, this, what this, uh, this attitude, what this, this um, idea does to our view of blessings right? Instead of good gifts from our Heavenly Father, blessings in our lives become rights, rights, things we've earned, things we can demand. And, and if it's something that we don't have, but we believe we earned, we can again call God into question. But then on the other side, right, if we haven't earned them, then, then these gifts, these blessings become down payments from like a bad, vengeful boss that's demanding more from us, demanding more from his investment, all the while, God's looking at us full of compassion, longing for us not to come to him, not, I mean, longing for us to come to him, not to experience judgment, not to experience harshness, but rather to experience care and compassion. Right? Look at verse four. Just look at verse four again. But with you, there is forgiveness. Why? So that you may be revered. 
So that when I experience your goodness, when I experience your compassion, it drives love, it drives worship, it drives gratitude. Friends, while we build these prisons around ourselves of self-sufficiency, God desires for us to come to him and to experience what it's like when our failures get into the ring with his grace and his grace wins. Right, like, like to confess where, where we've failed and fallen short and where we're hurting and where we're ashamed and to be met with the refreshing truth that nothing can separate us from his love. Hear me, look at me, not even you, not even me. When we come to terms with the truth that we've earned so little, man, we also are relieved by what we've been given, right? Like, like when we come to terms with the truth of how little we've earned, we also realize how much we've been given. And it's amazing. It's refreshing. It's encouraging. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's awesome, right? Like, I, I love the way pastor and author Tim Keller sums this up in his Psalms devotional. He says, the skeptic asks why any force capable of generating this vast universe um, would have regard for tiny, short-lived beings on a speck of dust called Earth. But for those who know my loving God, that's just the point. There is no good reason for God to care about us. But amazingly, he does. He doesn't love us because we benefit him in some way. How could we? He loves us simply because he loves us. That's why we praise him. This is critical, friends. This is critical. Without this realization that, that, that God's goodness is greater than our failures, we can never experience, much less live out, Psalm 130's third action item, hope. Hope, anticipation, assurance that what's coming is good that there is an end in sight, that there's light at the end of the tunnel. When, when, when hope, when deliverance, when rescue, uh, when assurance, when all those things, when the end of the tunnel is based on whether I've earned it, then it's always in flux. It's always variable because every moment of failure I have dictates that the end is now farther away, right? That, that the hope is farther away, not with God. When it's built on God's goodness, it's... All right, let's just get into the text. I'm just... Check out verses five and six. Watch this. Watch this. It says, I wait for the Lord. I wait and put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. Having confessed shortcomings, having wrestled with failure, okay, having brought those things to the feet of a merciful and loving God, we, found, we find almost like a counterintuitive result. Okay, bringing the greatest fear of, of our insufficiency, of our inadequacies, right? The psalmist isn't met with rejection and with ridicule and with belittling. Rather, the psalmist is given assurance that God will deliver, that God will redeem, that God will rescue, not based on the psalmist's goodness to earn it, but based on God's goodness to give it. Having wrestled with the shortcomings, having faced the greatest fear, the psalmist isn't met with rejection and ridicule and belittling, but he's given assurance that God will rescue, not based on the psalmist's goodness to earn it, but based on God's goodness to give it. The psalmist says, I now place my hope in God's word, in his promise. Then the author even paints this beautiful word picture saying that, that he waits for the Lord like watchmen for the morning. What does it mean? Well, it's supposed to, to give this, this idea of assurance, of almost like inevitability, of trust. 
I love how Derek Kidner, he's a theologian and, and a commentary writer, how he describes this in his commentary on Psalms. He says, in plain terms, he speaks of a promise, God's word, to cling to. And in picturing the watchman, he chooses as his simile a hope that will not fail. Night may seem endless, but morning is certain and it's time determined. Hope that never fails. Because darkness endures for a night, but we're promised that light will inevitably pierce the darkness the way the sun inevitably pierces through the night. Trust. The ability to hope in God, to know that what's coming is good, that, that, that what's, what's coming is, is, is redemptive, that what's coming uh, is, 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 is for us, is meant to free us, is meant to bring us joy. Man, friends, that's the hope that's found in this text. That's the hope that's found when we place our trust in the one who's sufficient. Let me hear, 2021 don't offer that. 2021 don't offer that, right? It's this assurance, this hope, this promise that we can bet on, that we can cling to. Right? That's what we celebrate even in Christmas, right? We just finished celebrating Christmas. That's what we're celebrating, that God's promise of rescue, that God's promise of light, that God's promise of hope, eternal and unshakable, right, has finally come, but it's come in this fragile child, that it's come in this little baby. It's why, and, and it's amazing to sing songs like, Hark the Herald Angel Sings, Glory to the Newborn King, that this newborn king, this baby born in a barn is actually the king of the universe. Right? It's why lines like, pleased is man with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel, are amazing. Because it tells the story of an eternal God entering into the brokenness and entering into the hurt and the pain of our existence in order to rescue us, in order to redeem us, in order to save us. It makes me wonder if the psalmist even knew what he was writing. When he finished this psalm in verse 8 by saying, and he, who God himself, he will deliver, he will redeem, he will rescue Israel from all its iniquities. Friends, why is this hope that we talk about eternal? Why is it unchanging? Why is it unfailing? Because it's been sealed in blood by God himself by God himself. You see, it's it's in Jesus, God with us, that every one of our failures has been paid for. It's with it's in Jesus, God with us, that every one of our shortcomings has been made up for. It's in Jesus, God with us, that every bit of our shame has been dealt with and every bit of our pain has now been given a future, has now been given a hope. When Jesus takes that cross, he permanently etches into eternity that Josh, Will, you have been forgiven by his blood. And when he resurrects, from the grave, he eternally assures that the longings of our souls will not go unmet, but that in him, the hope he offers will deliver. It has been delivered. It will be delivered. We have a hope. We have a promise. It is guaranteed. It has been purchased in his blood. Friends, the brokenness we experience on this earth, in this life, the financial instability, the health concerns, the relational pain, right? It only has so long. 
It has a short shelf life because whether in this life or in eternity, we will inevitably, we will eventually, we hope and we wait and we trust that we will experience the beauty of God himself, the beauty of God reigning uh, over those pains, that, that of God having overcome those moments of hurt, have God having reign or being reigning and victorious over every single one of them. Friends, like, like we will inevitably experience the day where, where we where we dwell in God's victory. Our job, our job today, friends, in 2020 and 2021 for the rest of our lives is not to go out and to prove that we have earned God's redemption, to go out and prove that we have earned God's rescue, to go out and prove that we have earned uh, his, his love, his affection, his forgiveness, but rather to run into the arms of a forgiving, of a redemptive, of a loving, of a compassionate God who would never hold our wrongs over us, but invites us in to his family, to be welcomed into his house, to be accepted, to be loved. Friends, that's our job. That's our job. Come on. It reminds me of an experience I had when I was a little boy, and and I want to finish up here, but it reminds me of an experience I had when I was a little kid. Uh, When I was young, 10, 11 years old, uh, my uncle Juan had 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 a dog. His name was Mookie. Mookie had to be the biggest gosh, dog, dog I've ever seen. This was a huge dog. He was a pit bull. Dude was just like maybe 80, 90 pounds of just sheer muscle. He was so big that when they went and took him for a walk, they had to wrap the chain, wrap like the rope around their hand and to put a glove on uh, because if Mookie like took off after a squirrel, he had the, the potential to just like rip the skin off of your hand. Dude was a beast. And as a result, he was really intimidating to be around as a 10 year old kid. Right? I felt like Mookie could like smell my fear. He was just like, you know, and, and it was hard. It was oftentimes very intimidating. And I remember one time I was with my cousins and, and we went out into the street in the neighborhood somewhere to play with other kids, football in the street, you know, you know, street lights, touchdown, that type of thing. And, and as we're playing, I remember that around the corner came this dog. It was a pretty big dog. He came and, and, and he just stopped and he looked at us. And I remember looking back at my cousins and seeing their face just go like flush, like all the color just like leave, right? And I remember you seeing one of them like drop the football. And so I turned back, I look at the dog and the dog is just staring at us. And all of a sudden I see the dog start to crouch down. His tail lowers, he begins to growl. And, and this dog's not pleasant to look at, right? He's like missing fur, maybe he has like a mane. She's scars everywhere. And he begins to crouch down, he begins to growl. And with every second you could feel like the tension rising, right? Where we didn't know what was gonna happen. And then boom, it all released. The dog just took off charging at us. And in a split second, I remember looking back at my cousins and, uh, and them just jetting. They were like, bump Josh. Jay, he could figure this out. That's one less guy we got to worry about. They just jetted. And so I fell in line and just followed after him. And after a second, I began to realize we were running to my Uncle Juan's house. And that seemed smart. But as we got up to the driveway, I realized something. It was To go to the left was to go to the door. But to go to the right was to go to the yard. And as we got up to the driveway, I found it really weird that we went right instead of going left. And as we continued running, we ran through the side yard. And, and I distinctly remember that as we turned the corner and entered into the backyard, in my peripherals, I just realized and I saw Mookie, the 100-pound pit bull, just pop up real fast. And in the backdrop, I heard the, 
the steps of the dog, the attacking dog, turning the corner. And as he turned the corner, he was met with the power and the ferocity of Mookie grabbing him. And he tore him left and he tore him right. And finally, the, the dog like, like kind of like uh, scrambled out of Mookie's clutches and then just hightailed it out of there. And we all ran to Mookie. We all gathered around him. We all petted him. We're celebrating him. His tail went up, started whacking my man a good that night, right? Like he, it was just a celebration. It was this joy that we had found security. We had found safety in the power and in the love of Mookie. It was a celebration that he was ours and that we were his and that in his presence, we had nothing to fear. Friends, when when the storms of this world bear down on us, ugly and hard and scary and intimidating, and, and, and they call us, and, and they, they make our knees wobble, and they make our heart faint. We are not called to run into that storm and to say, okay, I can get through this. I can prove myself. I can show what I have to offer. Friends, we are called to run into the arms of the one who reigns all-powerful over the storms and over the waves. We are called to run into the arms of the one who reigns high, yet lowers himself and enters into the brokenness of this world to care for the lowly, to care for the broken, to care for the hurting, and to forgive the guilty. Friends, as we close 2020, that's my desire for you. That's my desire for you, that as you head into the new year, as you head into 2021, maybe 2020, you in 2020, you experience pain or sickness or financial loss, or maybe like the psalmist, you experience failure. Right, like, like, and you're wrestling with the consequences, right? Like, my desire is that no matter the context, no matter the circumstances, we would all lay down the shackles of self-sufficiency that tell us that is the thing that, 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 that uh, delivers our joy, that that is the thing that delivers our uh, hope, that that is the thing that delivers our freedom, right? And, and to exchange that, Instead, for the joy of what it feels like to rely on a loving and caring God who hasn't just promised to deliver us, but has entered into the brokenness of the world and laid down his life to ensure it, to secure it by his blood. That's what I I hope for you today, friends. That's my longing for you, that as we head into this new year, that it would be marked by by hope, by joy, not in, in, in... a a COVID vaccine, not in a fresh start in 2021, but rather in the truth that we have a God who has secured our redemption, that we would find joy and peace and hope, not in finding it in our circumstances or in new beginnings, but rather finding it in the only one who's sufficient to place our hope, to place our joy, and to place our freedom in Jesus himself. So before we go today, I have two application points that I want to invite you to do, to, to kind of build like this, a rhythm of reliance in the upcoming year. The first is I want to encourage you to invite your brothers and sisters uh, in Christ into your pain, your grief, your, your, your shame, right? It's difficult to be vulnerable, sometimes even more difficult with God. We know that he knows that we don't want to tell him that type of thing, you know? And one of the most tangible ways in scripture that we experience God's compassion, his character is through God's people, I think about James 5 that tells us to confess sin to one another. Why? 
Why not just to God? Because when we confess sin to one another, we're, we experience in a very tangible way God's grace in our lives, right? God's grace at work in his people, and we experience his arms. We experience his love, his forgiveness when we confess, when we invite his people into it. And so invite them into your pain and, and, and feel God's healing touch, his encouraging presence, his word, his promises even if you can't quite let God in yet, invite his people into it. And the second one is I want to encourage you to pray the promises of scripture over yourself. Now, this sounds weird, but hear me out. When you come to a text like Psalm 130, right, and and it's about deliverance and rescue, pray that over yourself. Romans 5, hope, pray that over yourself. 1 Corinthians 15, resurrection, pray that over yourself. But, But hear me, pray it over yourself first, by confessing that you have not earned any of those promises. That you've not earned any of those promises. And then praise God that Jesus has. That he has earned the deliverance of Psalm 130, the hope of Romans 5, the resurrection of 1 Corinthians 15. And then thirdly, thank God that through Jesus laying down that redemption, through Jesus laying down that deliverance and and, and rescue, I mean, through him laying down that hope, laying down his life, we now inherit and, and receive redemption. We now inherit and receive hope. We now inherit and share in the resurrection that only he had earned. Pray the promises of Scripture over yourself. These things seem simple, but but I I believe they're powerful in in building a rhythm of relying on God's goodness in this upcoming year. And again, that's my, my hope, that this upcoming year will be filled with joy, filled with hope, filled with freedom, not because, right, um, things are are done or there's a new start, but because we're placing our joy, our hope, our freedom in the one who's actually sufficient to meet them, Jesus. And so... Uh, Providence, I love y'all. I appreciate y'all. I'm going to go ahead and pray uh, to finish up. And then, um, yeah, I I would love to to pass it over to however we're going to finish the service here today. But appreciate y'all. Let's pray and thank God for his word and for the truth of his word today. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.